when we work backwards from setting your goals, deciding your optimization strategy, transparency, all these added up together, um, you would need an open internet uh, with having knowing what are underneath the hood, what is inside the black box, so that you could make a fair and uh, objective uh, decisions, right? Um, so this is why um, open internet is here to create a value for um, the marketers. Open internet is actually um, really pivotal to a democratic society. That everyone should have the same level of access to both content and also services. The open internet is not free. I think there's this common myth that, you know, because everything goes on and you don't pay for it, so everything there should be free. Um, there is a whole um, ecosystem of players that actually keeps it active um, that need funding. And this is where I guess SSPs come in, is that we actually provide that uh, funding of this ecosystem. Welcome to the seven episode of a like audience at tech podcast, where we discuss the latest at tech trends and industry insights in the series of interviews with industry leaders. I'm Jessica, the director of the brand creatives, a boutique agency creating thought leadership content for tech companies, and I'm hosting the podcast today. We've invited Brendan Lee, the data director of Pubmatic for APAC audiences, and Bosco Lamb, the co-founder of Alike Audience, to share their thoughts on the open internet versus the Ward Garden and the latest partnership between Alike Audience and Pubmatic to bring audience segments to the supply side. So let's begin with Brendan. Let's talk about SSPs. So you mentioned a lot of marketers might not even know what SSPs are. Could you define um, what they are and the role they play in driving revenues for marketers? Sure. Um, firstly, thanks for having me. Um, so an SSP essentially is an acronym for supply side platform. So we are a 100% sales site technology. Our primary customers are publishers and media owners. So what we do is essentially very simple. We maximize any revenue and new opportunities for them. That's the kind of um, key proposition. And why is it very uh, an important part in a campaign for marketers? How, how should they uh, utilize it in their marketing strategy? I think SSPs increasingly, um, as the application of privacy compliant data is shifting to the supply side due to the application of cookies and identifiers, um, SSP I could be biased, but I think we're going to play an even more pivotal role. Um, in, in actually being the supply chain of the future for marketers, um, because essentially we are passing very relevant and insightful data points back to the marketers for better optimization and performance, um, and then obviously consequently resulting in better ROI for them. Um, SSPs has also been sort of in the last few years being the primary facilitator for, I'm sorry, another acronym, which is the Supply Path Optimization. Um, that is actually led and initiated by buyers and agencies themselves. Essentially, SPO is marketers wanting direct access to a curated group of publishers um, for, in a transparency, to work with them in a transparency and unbiased approach. So that's all about streamlining the whole supply chain process, but also wanting essential data points um, that they need actually for their campaign performance. That's interesting. So, um, you know, with the 
on a discussion recently about ward gardens and the open internet. How are SSPs different um, in the open internet and in the ward gardens? I guess one key word would be independence. Um, I again, Pematic is probably one of the rare few left in the industry that is truly independent. And by independence, I meant that we don't actually own any media. So we are a tech company. The idea is that we work with publishers uh, who owns the content, and um, that's kind of where the relationship ends. We don't actually own a lot of the content, unlike some of the war gardens, uh, where they essentially offer technology services. But in addition, they actually also are media owners themselves. So they actually own properties. And when when you put them together, it's really difficult, I guess, um, for them to offer a truly transparent and unbiased kind of proposition back to the publishers. So I'd like to balance a question to you as well, Bosco. Um, as someone in the ad tech industry and working with audience segmentation, uh, how do you feel the open internet is valuable and benefiting the whole ecosystem versus with the ward gardens? Yeah, sure. So um, maybe I'll take one step back to look at what are the goals for marketers, right? Um, so either you want to drive brand awareness or you want to drive performance. So you have different sets of goals for your campaign. And after that, you will have to have a optimization strategy. So you would compare um, all the options in the market, uh, which would give you the best approach to achieve your goals. And in order for you to optimize, you need to gather different kind of information like the measurement, the metrics, um, what are the value add um, that each of your dollar goes to. And it requires actually quite a lot of transparency so that you can get a good enough information to justify your optimization strategy. So when we work backwards from setting your goals, deciding your optimization strategy, transparency, all these added up together, um, you would need an open internet uh, with having knowing what are underneath the hood, what is inside the black box, so that you could make a fair and uh, objective uh, decisions, right? Um, so this is why um, open internet is here to create a value for um, the marketers. Both your opinions on when it comes to um, weighing the benefits, the pros and cons of an open internet versus ward gardens, which ones should marketers choose um, from maybe both the SSP perspective and from the audience segmentation perspective? Brandon, you can start first. Sure. So I don't want to sound like a cop-out, but my personal belief is that open internet is actually um, really pivotal to a democratic society. Um, essentially what it means that everyone should have the same level of access to both content and also services. Uh, it's not just always about content. Um, it, the open internet is not free. I think there's this common myth that, you know, because everything goes on and you don't pay for it, so everything that should be free. Um, there is a whole um, ecosystem of players that actually keeps it active um, that need funding. And this is where, I guess, SSPs come in, is that we actually provide that uh, funding of this ecosystem, which is, which is really important. Um, regards to the wall garden, I think marketers should also probably appreciate the fact that 
there's about 70% of their current budget or digital budget in general actually is allocated to these wall gardens instead of, you know, the open internet. And this threatens, I guess, you know, the survival of the open internet. Um, so they should be conscious that they actually are very important when they make those budget allocation decisions. Um, and also achieving, I guess, one of the key metric, RI metric that we hear often is uh, reach, because uh, marketers wants to reach um, uh, maximum reach with the lowest cost efficiency, which I can appreciate, but it's not always the end all and nor should it be the only metric that they should focus on. With the ad spending between open internet and ward gardens, what's your perspective on that, Bosco? How should marketers allocate your spending in different channels and different areas? Um, thank you, Jessica, for this question. Um, I always have this telling the clients, do not put all eggs in one basket, um, to be fair. Um, so we always want to, as I said, we always want to um, compare different options uh, in the market that drive your goals. Um, say, for example, if you go for brand awareness, you may look for scale. Um, the average uh, CPM is lower. Um, more than that is what are the effective um, ad fields. Um, or like filter rates so that you make sure there's no bots, um, there's no fraudulence um, to make sure that uh, that is a human eyes that you catch their attention. And if you're driving performance, you may want to look into a specific uh, types of inventory. Uh, say, for example, um, retail media, you may want to look at um, e-commerce, uh, you may want to look at um, uh, some other product recommendation uh, inventories. So this might be a good time to uh, look at uh, premium publishers, uh, look at domain-specific publishers. Um, this could be a good metrics for you. Say, for example, uh, how many leads that drive to your uh, site visits, uh, how many sales leads that would eventually be converted. Um, and that comes with an assumption is that you have a sophisticated um tracking to be implemented otherwise um it would be kind of a waste of effort and you can derive of no conclusion if that is effective or not and what about your thoughts on differences between uh free audiences on the open internet and a paid audience um could you speak a little more about that yeah um i would like to give this analogy like if you go to a restaurant you would have a set dinner uh, or you can order a la carte, right? Um, so set dinner comes with like a dessert. It sounds like free, but actually it is priced in, in your whole uh, menu. Versus a la carte, you can choose what you like. Um, you have more flexibility. So I would compare like free audiences is free for everyone. Like everyone is having the same set dinner. But for paid audience, um, it is something that you choose for yourself that you like, and you can maximize the return and the objective that achieve your goals. Um, so I think it comes to your strategy again, how you want to select um, these two. And always look into the breakdown of the cost of the overall budget spend. Um, you can see free audiences here, but it may price in in your, um, you know, the DSP transaction fees, or it is pricing in somewhere else. So always look into uh, what is underneath the builds, um, always check what is uh, coming together with your cost. So ask this question, be sure that there's enough transparency to get to know uh, what you have been paying for, what are the value add. 
Thank you. That's helpful. So back to Brandon again. Um, when we know that there is value to working with supply side platforms, uh, what are the challenges that marketers face when they decide who to work with and what are some strategies that they can implement um, when deciding a supply side platform? Yeah. So I personally think that they made one of the key challenges right now is just the lack of understanding of what an SSP actually does and offers as part of the supply chain. Um, and then obviously the value that we can actually bring to them. This is exactly why I like audience is doing, it's such a great thing that I like audience is doing this podcast as part of the educational process for marketers and buyers. Um, the other recommendation I would say, apart from learning more about the proposition of an SSP, um, is to look beyond just reviewing the scale and the quality of the supply marketplace. Like I said, not all SSP are the same. Um, every marketplace is different. So that's something that the marketers should probably take note. And also they should try to really maybe go deeper and understand what each SSP does in terms of their technology capabilities, but also the level of transparency of data that, you know, the SSP can provide back to them. Um, and again, as I said, not all SSP um, are equal. So it's important for the marketers to understand that. Um, and then last but not least, I guess, you know, the ability to provide privacy compliant data points, uh, which is becoming even more important these days um, because it's decreasing and declining due to all the different privacy regulations um, that the marketer actually do need um, as, you know, measuring their campaign performances going forward. Thank you. That's a very detailed answer. Yeah. I think very helpful for marketers. So um, back to both uh, for like audience and for Pubmatic. Uh, as I know, recently, um, like audience is the first to partner with um, an SSP like Pubmatic. Can you both talk a little bit about how the partnership came about and how it can bring value to media bias? Yeah, sure. So, um our pleasure to work with Pubmatic here. Um, it is a long journey um, that we have been uh, tested um, how our data and the uh, inventory can be combined and to offer a products um, out there in the market. So after this long testing, we see significant good results. And I want to address um, particular from a data privacy standpoint, you know, publishers are always the first um, who contact um, that end users for um, user consents. So in order to um, have this kind of verification, uh, working closer to the supply side is always the first step to ensure that the consent is legit and to minimize the chance of data leakage. And as we all know, uh, IB and the Tech Lab has been um, proposing new standardization on how um, the uh, transparency consent framework can be passed along the value chain. So I think this is a good step for the industry to collaborate and to embrace that um, data privacy. That's wonderful. What about you, Brendan? Yeah, so I contacted Bosco um, after I heard about a light through the grapevine and um, we just hit it off, but that's on the personal level. I think um, it really... The legacy setup of the programmatic industry has always been that the buyers are the ones that's implementing um, kind of data um, on their end rather than on the sell side. So as I said that, you know, most of the, due to the kind of deprecation of the cookies and um, identifiers, the kind of, it's almost like a great timing for our industry to do a reset 
And so it's actually really exciting times for the uh, sales side, I guess, to start actually implementing more data points on our side. Um, really, it kind of, kind of makes sense to me because most of the data points that the marketers need uh, in terms of insights and measurement actually come from the sales side um, historically. So now it's just it's a great time for them to actually action upon that. So working with Alike um, through our publishers, you know, leveraging your data segments uh, is, is the perfect marriage, really. Um, and also, I think Bosco and I were saying that as part of the onboarding testing, we're starting to see some, you know, kind of higher match rates um, as well in comparison to be on the buy side or the DSP. So um, that would just mean ultimately uh, result in better uh, performance and ROI for the marketers. Wonderful. So as a final wrap-up question, how do you think the ad tech industry will be affected um, in the next few years, especially with all these changes that are coming? And what kind of data identity solutions will be needed um, from your perspective? Well, I'm going to say from an SSC's perspective, like I said, it's, a, it's, it's actually positive. Um, it allows us to reset and have a rethink about where data should be, how data can be acquired in a privacy compliant way, but also how it can, can be applied into advertising uh, for the marketers. So, you know, as consumers, that's becoming more aware of how their data is actually being used on the Internet and the privacy regulation that is increasing stringent across the globe. The kind of legacy methods of identifying the consumers, which is ultimately what the marketers is trying to do, um, is going to have an impact. So the ecosystem is now moving towards a uh, focus and increased focus on privacy compliant identity solutions um, to deliver to continue to deliver the advertising to reach the target audience um, of the marketers. So, yeah, I think SSPs are going to really start really going to play an even more important uh, role in this cookie-less world. Yes, I agree with you. And so, Bosco, um, I know a like audience, it's really uh, values privacy compliance solutions. Can you also share your thoughts about what your like audience is planning in the next few years and how it fits into the cookie-less world in terms of data identity solutions? So I think uh, we'll put this uh, identity thing in a short-term and long-term view. I think in a short-term, we will see um, a view of a leading identity solution is already uh, out there and we've uh, been testing with like the UID2, uh, the RAMID, uh, a few of them are already uh, solution ready. Yet we have to see the adoption from the market, especially from the supply side. Um, how emails are being hashed and collected with consents um, in the region like Asia Pack, um, where mobile is always uh, the dominant platform. People have been talking about phone numbers instead of emails as well. How we are putting all this together, um, I would see there's still a long way to go. So I think in the long term, the industry begins to be receptive in a probabilistic model than matching um, ID in a one-to-one method because first of all the privacy uh, not to be intrusive second is because of the technology we have seen like data clean rooms how we can uh, extract high level insights so that we can apply the insights in programmatic advertising rather than to track individuals on a one-to-one basis so 
that would definitely have an impact in like measurements, tracking. But I think the whole industry have to reset the metrics that we we, we use to um, justify the performance. There would no longer be like unique downloads, but overall, what are the impact, the percentage changes compared to the past? So um, I couldn't say there's one metrics that is the um, winner for this moment. As I said, it is a long-term development. So I think it requires a lot more collaboration to keep testing out what could be the balance of um, privacy-friendly to drive the performance for the overall marketing industry. Yeah, I'll echo that. Like, I think the other trend that's probably going to happen kind of aligns with this idea of openness. And it will be the flexibility and the mobility of uh, data sets and how they're actually being used. Um, across you know different usage and across different owners, rather than it being again in a kind of walled uh, kind of system where um, the, you know it's a black box and nobody really know what's going on in there. But having said that, the openness is obviously treated as Bosco shared in a very stringent privacy compliant fashion as well, uh, where it's no longer about identifying a unique single individual, or at least it will be anonymized. Yeah, that is a good point. And um, just to add on that, um, so imagine an, an ID um, to me is um, there should be a public goods, right? Everyone in the industry should have access to it. And as a public good, um, it would be transparent, right? People know what is the combination on it. And there's no one dominant party who could influence that and impose changes over the night in contrast if any of these ideas remains to be a private good um any parties that rely on this should be prepared that there's some influence or change could happen over the night and be ready for another backup or um, any other alternatives so um yeah we're, we're keen to see how the new public good could be arise in the open internet and we may all leverage on this uh, standard and that would create a value for both buy side and the sell side. Thank you for those insights. So a kind of side question as well, knowing that uh, both our guests uh, are quite well known in APAC and dealing with APAC audiences. Do you have any specific insights for marketers in the APAC region and what they should be aware of or uh, in terms of strategies compared to other regions? Well, I think the first one is to follow our like audience uh, podcast in EdTech. We always welcome thought leaders like Brendan to join us here. Um, well, I think uh, to be frank, uh, in Asia Pack, uh, it is quite fragmented uh, across the countries, market by markets. We always encourage um, the local intelligence, like what are the challenges here to adopt? Just like I mentioned in the States, we begin with like hash emails, but in Asia Pack, a lot of phone numbers uh, comes into the uh, registration. So this is actually a strong uh, example that we embrace this local intelligence and how this could be incorporated in the international standard. I, I agree. I think one of the kind of key differences that stands APAC apart from the other parts of other continents would be also mobile. Uh, we are a very mobile centric region. And that itself, when it comes to actual login data or first-party data, the way that is captured in our email versus mobile numbers uh, are going to be, 
um, also the differences. The other thing I would also add is obviously, as Bosco mentioned, our region is particularly fragmented um, in a lot of large markets. Um, and that would then set the different kind of, I guess, privacy regulation of each of the country. Um, so far, you know, the discussions that we had with these ID providers is that they're actually following closely to what the government of that country uh, is dictating in terms of privacy regulations, um, because that would definitely have an impact on how the data is collected and then how it's being used by the marketers. Thank you for that. So let's conclude here and thank you for listening in. If you enjoyed the podcast, we would love for you to leave us a review and tag us on social you can also subscribe to get more podcast episodes from Alike Audience. Visit us at www.alikeaudience.com to get transcripts and find out more about our audience segment offerings. And thank you again very much for Brendan and Bosco's insight.